Welcome, I'm Prudence Robertson, and this is EWTN Pro-Life Weekly. Abortion Agenda, a closer look at radical abortion bills introduced by Senate Democrats, and an update on the pro-life students kicked out of the Smithsonian Museum and the National Archives. We have reaction from Capitol Hill with EWTN News Nightly correspondent Eric Rosales. Genetic screening. A new survey finds that some parents would screen and edit their baby's genes if given the opportunity. We speak with pro-life scientist Dr. Dan Keebler about these findings and the importance of infusing science and technology to promote human dignity. Maryland March. We take a look at the state's 44th annual March for Life and how residents in the state are responding to the overturn of Roe vs. Wade. We're joined by a pro-life teacher and student who tell us what motivates them to fight for life, even in their majority blue state. Capitol Hill, it's currently a tale of two chambers when it comes to the life issue. In the GOP-controlled House, members have already advanced several pieces of legislation protecting unborn babies, but in the Democrat-controlled Senate, it's a different story. Here in the United States Senate, we are going to continue to fight in every way that we know how to protect and expand reproductive freedom, including abortion. In other news, some lawmakers are reacting to the developing story that a group of pro-life students were kicked out of the Air and Space Museum and the National Archives during the March for Life. Joining me now with more details is EWTN News Nightly's Capitol Hill correspondent, Eric Rosales. Eric, thanks for being here. It's so good to see you. We'll get to what's taking place on Capitol Hill shortly, but could you start by giving us an update on these students who were kicked out of the Smithsonian Museums for wearing pro-life hats? I understand you've spoken with some lawmakers about this. Yes, I certainly have, Prudence. Uh, first of all, it's just an honor to be with you and uh, the great work that you're doing here on Pro-Life Weekly. But yes, I have talked to a number of lawmakers about this. More than two dozen Republican lawmakers wrote letters to both the Smithsonian and the National Archives. They are demanding answers. Now, these kids, what they had on their hats were simply the words rosary pro-life. And lawmakers say that that shouldn't be offensive to anyone and never should have been asked to remove their clothing or even cover it up because... Uh, these chaperones and these kids, they had their First Amendment rights trampled on. Lawmakers say that these museums receive more than $1 billion of ta American taxpayer money every year. Now, this is just one instance that we've seen of people being attacked by a government entity because of their pro-life beliefs. So we're glad that you're tracking it, Eric. Now, let's jump into what's happening legislatively. legislatively excuse me. Talk to me about what pro-life bills Republicans have advanced in the House. Well, over in the House, it's all part of the House's uh, GOP's commitment to America. You know, pro-life and religious freedoms uh, issues were on the very top of the issue. Now, one of the bills passed was uh, by the House to, to protect babies who survive abortions. You know, with uh, only one Democrat supporting it, it mainly passed by uh, party lines. But uh, another measure is to condemn the attacks on uh, pro-life facilities. They includes everything from churches to pregnancy care centers. Now, both 
both measures remain in the Senate graveyard at this point, and it's unlikely that Senator Schumer will ever bring them to the floor for a vote. But Republicans over in the House, they say that they're going to continue to make this known to the American people, and possibly in 2024, things will change. Mm. Prudence? Yeah, and Eric, as you're alluding to, in the Senate, it seems to be a very different story than in the House. So what are Senate Majority Democrats up to when it comes to legislation they're introducing? Well, I tell you what, Democrats have taken it to the extreme. You know, they've sponsored a bill safeguarding women's access to chemical abortions. These are through telehealth and even certified pharmacies. It is important to note that this also includes mail-order pharmacies. Now, it would include... Uh, mail-order pharmacies, and that is something that, that uh, Mississippi Senator Cindy Hyde-Smith says that she is totally against. She heads up the Senate Pro-Life Caucus, and she tells me Republicans will investigate the FDA for loosening its uh, rules on requiring doctors to administer abortion pills. Take a listen. They're violating federal law in doing that, and, you know, every post office becomes an abortion clinic. The pharmacies can become an abortion clinic. It just amazes me that they would support something that could endanger so many lives. And it doesn't end there. You know, a bipartisan group of senators, including Republican Lisa Murkowski and Susan Collins, both self-professed Catholics, well, they've introduced a bill that would prevent states from limiting access to abortion and protect access to contraception. Prudence? Mm. Very concerning. Eric, anything else happening on the Hill in the coming days that our viewers should know about? Well, you know, we want to let our viewers know that, uh, you know, Democrats, they have recently wrote a letter to President Biden, and they're asking him to take executive steps that would increase resources for women and to be able to have abortions outside of their home states. But they also want illegal immigrants and even prisoners, those who are incarcerated, to be able to have taxpayer-funded abortions. And they want to increase funding at both the domestic level and international global level for abortion services. So unfortunately, the uh, pro-abortion movement is alive and well up here on Capitol Hill. But uh, Senator Cindy Hyde-Smith says that she is going to continue to fight it along with other uh, GOP senators. Well, it's good that we have some strong pro-life members on the Hill, and we're so grateful to you, Eric, for reporting everything that's going on with those members each and every day from the Hill. Eric Rosales, EWTN Capitol Hill correspondent, thanks for joining us. Thank you so much. For an update on what's happening on the state level, we're joined now by Caitlin Connors, Southern Regional Director at Susan B. Anthony Pro-Life America. Caitlin, thanks for joining me. Lots of state news to report on, so let's get right to it. In Kentucky, the Supreme Court just upheld a law that is a near total ban on abortion. And this is good news for our movement, but what are Kentuckians saying, especially due to the recent ballot loss on abortion in the state? Right. Well, Prudence, thank you so much for having me. And you're right, there is a lot going on within the pro-life movement, both um, in the legislative world and legally. Um, but yes, last week was a significant um, win for the pro-life movement. And um, I would echo Attorney General Daniel Cameron's statements on that, um, that this was a really significant move forward as their Supreme Court has upheld um, and allowed for their law to stay in place, both their Heartbeat Protection Act and their um, their trigger law that um, was also in effect. And this essentially reverses what a lower court had um, 
had enjoined previously. So this is a significant win. Um, and it's true that the, the voters in Kentucky, they continuously elect pro-life uh, lawmakers who have passed these pro-life laws here in recent years. And so the people of Kentucky um, are having their voice heard as their lawmakers continue to fight for life, as their attorney general, who they have also um, recently elected is fighting for life and trying his best to keep these laws intact in the state of or in the Commonwealth of Kentucky. So um, it's a victory for unborn children. Certainly, it's a victory for um, the voters and the people of Kentucky as well. Mm. And more good news from South Carolina: the state house just passed a ban on abortion, and now that's headed to the state senate. Is it likely that this total ban will be signed into law this year, Caitlin? Yeah, so there's a lot going on in South Carolina as well. Um, the Senate has passed a pro-life bill as well. It's a heartbeat protection act in the House, to your point, has or has uh, passed a law or passed a bill that would um, protect life throughout pregnancy. So both of those bills are in opposite chambers now. The Senate has the House version um, and the, the House has the Senate's heartbeat bill as well. So we are urging lawmakers in South Carolina to continue to fight for life in the state and to enact the will of the people. Um, currently, because of, of the um, South Carolina Supreme Court, their heartbeat law that was passed in 2021 has been enjoined and um, struck down. So right now in South Carolina, unborn babies are not protected until 20 weeks from abortion. And so certainly in South Carolina, more pro-life laws need to be enacted. Um, and this is also the will of the people in South Carolina. They have sent their lawmakers time and time again back to Columbia to work on this kind of legislation um, to protect life. And they have a governor, in, uh, uh, Governor McMaster, who has promised and has signed um, pro-life laws in place. So we are looking forward to the continuation of this session um, and are very hopeful that um, unborn life will be protected during this legislative session and certainly um, to protect um, more than the 20-week law that is currently in place because of their Supreme Court. Mm, that's good to know. And, and finally, in Virginia, on a more somber note, Democrats just blocked a bill that would protect babies born alive after failed abortions. Caitlin, we have a strong pro-life governor, a growing pro-life contingent in that state. So how is it that this bill failed? Yeah, you're right. Um, it is a somber note, and it's really stunning that this is a debate we even have to have. Um, so in the Senate in Virginia, it is um, held by a Democrat majority, a pro-abortion majority. And the Born Alive bill uh, was up in a in a, the health committee in, in the Senate and was voted down. Um, unfortunately, um, that means that it will not continue throughout the session. It is done for this session. Mm. Um, so again, it's really... Uh, incredible to me that this is even something up for debate, much less something that could fail in the legislature. Um, so we are looking forward to more pro-life lawmakers in the state of Virginia, to your point, um, who the governor in the state, Governor Youngkin, is uh, solidly pro-life and working on pro-life legislation. Um, he His bill earlier this session was a 15-week pain-capable bill. And um, that also, unfortunately, had the same outcome when it met um, the Senate Health Committee. So it is important that we have lawmakers in the state who are willing to protect life. Um, and so we'll continue fighting in Virginia for that. Um, another law that was um, also failed in this committee was informed consent for women, for them to have a mm -hmm. full understanding of the procedure they're about to go through and to 
also try to rule out any um, coercion or enforcement into into having an abortion. So the fact that we can't agree on these kinds of pieces of legislation um, is really troubling. Um, but we're again hopeful in the future um, that we have more pro-life leadership in the in the state um, and that we can have these laws enacted to protect the unborn and their mothers. Mm. Well, Caitlin, we're so grateful for you for tracking all of this and all the work that you do in the states to defend life. Caitlin Connors of SBA Pro-Life America, thanks for joining us. Thank you. A new survey focused on in vitro fertilization revealed that a significant number of people would elect to screen embryos before they are implanted in the womb. And some of them would even choose to edit their baby's genes to make them smarter. We know that all life is precious and that science undoubtedly points to the humanity of the unborn. This survey begs a closer look at how advances in technology could distract from that fact. So we thought we would speak to an expert in navigating the scientific world from a Catholic perspective. Dr. Dan Keebler is the project co-lead for the Purposeful Universe. A molecular biologist, he is also the dean of the School of Natural and Applied Sciences at Franciscan University, and he teaches there. Dr. Keebler, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for being here. Thanks, Prudence. Glad to be on. What's Thanks your, for having me. Of course, of course. What's your initial reaction to this piece, which says that nearly 40% of parents would want to essentially give their children an aptitude test when they're just an embryo? Yeah, it's it's interesting. It, it, it doesn't surprise me, given the direction that the culture is going in, given the direction that sort of the inevitable sort of uh, fallout of sort of IVF and the mainstreaming of that, because IVF at its core, um, you know, treats, uh, I think, you know, uh, children as, uh, you know, uh, uh, it, it views them as in a utilitarian uh, of, of fashion, rather than seeing children as a gift from God. It's seen as a, um, a, something that I deserve. I deserve to have a child. Um, and once you start thinking like that, you start, well, not only do I deserve to have a child, I deserve to have a child that um, does this, or it's really smart, or mm. it's really fast. And so we, we've sort of gone down that um, uh, that road, and it's not surprising we've gotten to the point where not only do we think we can demand a child when we want one, but we can demand the type of child that we want. Yeah, pretty crazy when you think about children in that way. And and could you clarify for us what the church says about in vitro fertilization, whether it's right or wrong? Yeah, the, the church re, um, has been clear from the start that, you know, in vitro fertilization um, separates the unitive and procreative uh, aspects of uh, sex and reproduction. And so that uh, children are um, uh, have a right to being conceived with a mother and a father in a natural uh, environment where they're in a proper relationship with the mother during gestation. Um, right. And that uh, um, that to, to separate that, it's, it's sort of the, the, the flip side of contraception, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. um, and so the church has been clear that this is immoral, even though the church uh, speaks out that any child that is conceived that way deserves dignity and respect just uh, like any other child. Yeah, thanks for speaking on that so clearly. And, and Dr. Kubler, you and I both know that science proves the humanity of these babies in the womb, but there are a lot of scientific and medical professionals out there who are doing everything in their power to conceal that truth from the general populace. How do we combat this? 
Yeah, I, I think uh, you know, pointing out at least at the at the, the embryonic stage, you know, um, and, and trying to combat this uh, um, ideology that that is moving forward with uh, you know treating embryos as things that we can uh, experiment on and and uh, destroy is 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 to to point out you know the links between this and just uh, you know sort of the eugenic movements of the past that just did uh, sort of uh, eugenics. Um, um, older individuals that sure. you have the same underlying sort of um, evil, um, uh, distasteful uh, philosophy that's at root here. Um, it's just not as in your face because you don't see uh, a fully formed adult, for example, being uh, euthanized or being sterilized. Um, but that's exactly sort of what you have going on here. You have individual embryos that are, are already, this is already happening, right? So people will screen their embryo to say, I want to have a boy. And so they discard their female embryos, mm -hmm. right? Or I want to have, uh, you know, fertility clinics do this already. I want to have one with blue eyes, um, and and so they'll, they'll they can you know screen the embryos and get rid of any that that don't. So we're already doing this, and to to you know talk to people about how appalling that is if you were doing it to a one year old or a two year old. It's the same same exact thing at work if we recognize that the you know this is human from the very beginning and that humans have an inherent dignity and respect it. Uh, are owed that at every stage of their their lives. Right. And I think the embryo is a very um, it's a very unique stage, and it has certain properties. You and I were both embryos, and we have properties and abilities then that we don't have now. It was, and so to say, oh, it's because it's too small, or because it doesn't have rational thought, but it, it has amazing ability to build an entire adult body, which is something that you and I don't have at this stage of our lives. So. It's, uh, it, it's what we would exactly expect a human to look like at that stage, and mm. it deserves the dignity and respect that a human um, should have at every stage of life. Yeah, amen. Well, thank you for all the work that you're doing on this to combat the culture of death and to, to reveal the humanity of unborn children. We really appreciate you joining us. Dr. Dan Keebler. Uh, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Coming up, I speak out to clear things up about the latest dramatic abortion story from the pro-abortion media. And we'll hear from a pro-life teacher and student who are headed to their state's upcoming March for Life, a state that unfortunately has some pretty extreme abortion laws. Welcome back to EWTN Pro-Life Weekly. I'm Prudence Robertson. Once again, pro-abortion reporters are being dramatic because the abortion regime is losing ground. This at the expense of an expectant couple already suffering. That is this week's Speak Out segment. A recent headline from the Washington Post reads, quote, her baby has a deadly diagnosis. Her Florida doctors refused an abortion. The piece recounts the situation of a woman named Deborah, who was recently told that her unborn baby has Potter syndrome, which means that some of the baby's organs are not developing properly. The story was soon all over the web, painting Deborah's doctors as monsters. In reality, the whole story below the headline suggests that her care providers are simply trying to do what's best for her and her baby. Instead of killing Deborah's child on the spot and even risking her own life, she will have her baby and the doctors will be prepared for whatever happens after the birth. This is legal in Florida, unlike late-term abortions, and puts both mom and baby first. 
The Washington Post doesn't seem to like that. If we've learned anything this last year, it's that pro-abortion reporters will lie through their teeth to convince women that they need an abortion, especially if something has gone wrong in their pregnancy. The truth is, abortion compounds crisis. Not to mention, there is at least one recorded case of a baby who has survived Potter syndrome, the daughter of former Congresswoman Jamie Herrera Butler. So there is hope for this little family. And Florida's pro-life law might just save this little girl's life. Her grandfather says he is praying for a miracle baby. We join him in that prayer and reject the lies of the abortion-obsessed media. And for this week's Pro-Life Focus, we're excited to welcome a teacher and student from the Eastern Shore of Maryland who are preparing to march for life in Annapolis, their state's capital. Maryland is a vital state for pro-lifers to make their voices heard, given that abortion is legal in the state up to the moment of birth. As of last year, abortions in Maryland made up 3.5% of all abortions across the U.S. This year's march will take place in the evening on Monday, February 27th. Marylanders plan to gather and march together to the state capitol, where they will hold a rally and prayer vigil for the unborn. And our next two guests will be out there marching. I'm joined now by teacher Alex Poole and student Mikey McHale from St. Peter and Paul Catholic High School in Easton, Maryland. Gentlemen, thank you so much for joining me in the studio. It's great to have you here. Thank you so much, Prudence, for having us. Thank you. We're yeah. very excited to be here. Yeah, of course. Alex, talk to me a little bit about St. Peter and Paul High School and how the pro-life, you know, movement kind of got started there sure. and, uh, you know, what, what the philosophy is in terms of teaching that pro-life um, you know, sort of, you know, pro-life concept at your school. Sure, absolutely. So uh, about 15 years ago, uh, I was teaching a morality class. And of course, in the, um, in that one of the sections in our um, curriculum, we talk about uh, human dignity issues and human life issues. And we had a debate on abortion. And by the end of the period of our debate, I had on one side uh, students who were very, very much pro-choice, and on the other side, very, very pro-life. I mean, there was, Interesting. Uh, yeah, there was two, two sides. There was no one in between. And it was a very heated discussion. It was a very good discussion. And at the end of the class, I had two young ladies come to me and say, you know, Mr. Paul, we don't want to talk about this. We don't want to just debate on something that's so important and something that really does need to be put into prayer and into action. Mm. So that was the day that our pro-life organization was born at Saints Peter and Paul. So uh, from that point on, we started going on the D.C. marches, and then uh, a few, few, few years later, we started going on the Annapolis march. Mm, that's great. Um, so it has been a, a fantastic journey, and just seeing so many of our students grow and be educated and not have this false sense of, well, it's just abortion. How bad can it be? No, it's it's it it's a it's a heinous crime. Right, right. And it is a a, a direct assault on on the human dignity of of each person, especially mm -hmm. those who have no voice, uh, you know, in Maryland and in our country. Right. And Mikey, talk to me a little bit about this year's Annapolis March for Life. It's happening on the 27th of February. Talk to me about why you're excited to be going. So I'm excited. I went to the one last year, and that was the first march I ever went on. And I think I loved it so much because it's it's small enough to where you can tell how genuinely like people care about the topic and mm -hmm. what they're doing. Yeah. And um, yeah, I'm just excited to go and 
fight for life. Yeah, that's so great. And you guys are trying to get as many students to come as possible from your school. Talk to me about the challenge of being pro-life in a state where the laws are very hostile to life. You know, Maryland allows sure. abortion up to the moment of birth. Yeah, it's, it's, it's horrible. It's absolutely horrible. And I think that's where the true hope lies in is us you know it's it's Mikey it's so many of our students we have 20 students going uh, on the Annapolis March for Life this coming Monday um, you know if it wasn't for the spring sports and you know the busy life that we have at a private Catholic school mm -hmm. I'm sure we would have probably 50 or 60 students going right. so the and they they participate in other ways if they can't march they're working for you know work with choices for life which is a nonprofit pro-life organization in Easton and Education is key uh, for our school. So we don't just march, we have um, bi-weekly, um, uh, or bi-monthly bi pro-life meetings. We talk about all the legislation that's being pushed mm -hmm. for abortion laws here in the state, yeah. looking at uh, the possibility of a Maryland becoming a, a safe haven for abortions for out, you know, people out of state. Right. And these, these things need to be talked about to our students. Mm -hmm. So especially when they, go off to vote, you know, they can vote right, you yeah. know, and have a good moral vote um, on issues of abortion. Yeah, yeah. And and Alex, we have about a minute left, sure. but speak to me just a little bit about um, the context of teaching these things within schools. You know, there's a lot of schools where children are being indoctrinated to believe things that aren't of God, aren't aren't the truth. Right. So as a teacher, how do you see your role in, in sort of forming your students? Sure, absolutely. Well, uh, Saints Peter and Paul is very blessed that we have to side with the magisterium. We cannot veer from those teachings. So I have uh, great leniency in teaching about pro-life issues. Mm -hmm. um, of course, I mean, sometimes we have to put out a notice to the parents. We're gonna be discussing some of these very difficult issues, especially for students who haven't heard about abortion or have heard about the horrors that goes along with abortion procedures, especially those that are uh, throughout second and third trimester, uh, the second and third trimester abortion procedures. Mm -hmm. So. Um, we do have to give out a notice to the parents. This is what we're going to be discussing. Um, but we are faithful to the magisterium, and I do have uh, many allowances to to speak yeah. uh, on these issues. And that's wonderful. Well, you're teaching important topics, and we're so grateful for both of your pro-life witnesses. And so we much. hope you have a great time at the March on Monday. Thank you so much. Thank, Thank you, you so much for joining us. All right. Thank you, Prudence. Appreciate it. That does it for this edition of EWTN Pro-Life Weekly. I'm Prudence Robertson. Until next time, we'd love to hear from you. Find us on social media at EWTN Pro-Life on all social media platforms. Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, we're there. You can also send us a message by emailing ProLifeWeekly at EWTN.com. We love to hear from you. Remember, life is a gift. Your life is a gift. God bless.